Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And And this this is is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Renee White. My other co-host is on mat leave at the moment, Dr. Mika Batucci, and collectively we have a Melbourne-run business called Fill Your Cup where we are postpartum doulas. And for all those playing at home, we are about to expand into Hobart, Tasmania, which is very exciting. I will be relocating there and servicing Tassie whilst Mika will be back on board in 2022 for all our Melbourne mummers. And during our time here in Melbourne, we have been actively collaborating with a beautiful organisation called MAMA, which stands for Midwives and Mothers Australia. And I had the absolute pleasure in interviewing one of their co-founders, Jan Island, who is a midwife in her 70s and she has just delivered the most beautiful conversation with me the other day. She actually nearly had me in tears three times and I don't think I'm going to be alone in feeling that emotion in her voice and her story. So be prepared, get your tissues ready. Jan is just one of those women who has been advocating for women and their birthing rights for many, 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 many years now. As I said, she's in her early 70s. She completed her midwifery degree in 1975. So she's been catching babies for quite some time now. And what you'll hear from her story, which is not uncommon, is that her first birth was not as she had planned and it involved a lot of trauma and that was, I guess, the catalyst for her entering into the midwifery industry and also her fire to advocate and to, I guess, protest for change for women. It is a very, very beautiful story and Jan is a very beautiful person and I cannot wait for you to listen to this. If And, and Jan is actually still very much practising and I would have loved to have had someone like her at my birth. So if any mamas are listening and they are really keen on having someone like Jan or her midwives from Mama advocate for them, support them through their birth. They have centres in Kensington and Hampton as well, but I 
100% know that women all across Victoria seek out their professional assistance through their birthing process. So please feel free to reach out to Jan and the mum midwives. I'm going to stop talking. This is just going to be a beautiful story, a heartbreaking story, but it has spurred on a woman to inject so much passion and care into this industry. I'm very excited for you to listen to this. Here is Jan Island. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Jan Island from Mama, how are you? I'm very well and coping very well with all these shutdowns in Melbourne. I know, I know. I mean, I think the latest figures are that the the daily number is down a little bit from, from yesterday. So hopefully we're heading in the right direction. Look, Jan, I wanted to talk about your amazing career as a midwife. You've got over 40 years of experience. Is that right? Well, I'm 73 and my first catch was 25. So, Wow. Wow. That is amazing. So in January 2000, we're going to fast track, but then we're going to come back to where it all started. In January 2011, you co-founded and established a wonderful organisation called MAMA, so Midwives and Mothers Australia in Kensington. Can you describe to the listeners what is MAMA and what spurred you to open a midwifery centre like this? Well, there were a lot of factors going way back is when I had my own child in Oh, my gosh, she's 47, so you can work that out. (laughs) It was a a very bad experience. Okay. And I was very traumatised by it and had postnatal depression. And I was a theatre nurse at the time and I was married and um, I just couldn't couldn't think. I was overwhelmed by what happened in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. And my baby was in the nursery and I went home and I didn't really hold it until she was a week old maybe. And I didn't breastfeed her and um, I didn't really know much about her except she was my baby and I'd gone through a lot of trauma to get her. Mm-hmm. But um, I shouldn't complain because I had a beautiful baby. And, of course, that was quite true. I shouldn't complain. And if someone said I had to go through that, I still would have had her. But mm. I would have done something to help me prepare for it. Mm. <laughs> so at about six months I sought help. Okay. So my marriage broke up and, um, yes, that's what happened. So then I got help and it was from a psychiatrist. She told me that I had postnatal depression. No one else told me. My doctor said I was tired. My mother said I was never meant to be a mother. And the only person who who didn't complain really was Emma, the baby. (laughs) She was just so easy. So then after I finished care with the psychiatrist at about when she was about 18 months, we spoke about what what to do and I said I wanted to help women avoid those circumstances and bring postnatal depression out in the open and as a normal event, as a sequelae to a traumatic event in childbirth. Mm -hmm. Nothing to be ashamed of, which I was. And so I became a midwife. I was already a nurse, so it was just a hop, skip and a jump, 12 months. During that 12 months, I was called up to, I was to be reprimanded about 20 times. 
and that's continued throughout my life as a midwife. So what were you I, reprimanded I, for? Well, mostly I think every time someone just did something without asking a woman or giving her preparation time mm-hmm. or said, come on, you can do better or some negative remark, I'd say, hey, this woman bringing a child into the world, we should all be grateful and, and, and hold her in great esteem, you know. So I wouldn't go home if someone was having a baby and you're supposed to finish your shift, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how it became my whole career was sort of intervening in the normal process of uh, midwifery and obstetric care in institutions. So I have developed a thought that maybe institutions weren't the place for birth. I think I've been to so many birth reform rallies in Canberra and in Melbourne. I've breastfed on the steps of Parliament House here, all sorts of things, but nothing's ever changed and it still hasn't changed. And that's really sad, isn't it? It is very sad. And I think it's for the same reason that I thought I couldn't complain because of the beautiful babies. Right. So the medicalisation of birth has been a fantastic thing with premature birth, really sick mothers. Like I, I, I love working with obstetricians and using their skills when they're needed, but I think that women know how to birth their babies. So I didn't do too well in the hospital system, really. I, I was always in trouble. Not in trouble, but I was always not popular with with, uh, people who were trying to run institutions. So I worked in birth centres and all over the place. And I started my own business down in Bentley. And I had one person, a bookkeeper, PA, whoever she was, she was everything. And I was just seeing women and looking after them wherever they wanted me to. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that was very important. And the fact that that could change from when the woman was pregnant to when she was going through her journey, she could change and have her baby, just say she wanted to have a home birth. I didn't mind if she changed to a hospital birth, a birth centre birth. So that's how it all started. Wow, that's amazing. And so Mama now has, you know, a wonderful team of midwives, lactation consultants, you know, we at Fill Your Cup are postpartum doulas, you know, collaborating with Mama at the moment. And I guess you've touched on why you transitioned from the theatre nurse to the midwife. Did you go on to have any more children? Yes, I did. Um, I think the women in my family are very good at making babies quickly. (laughs) I met a lovely man and had three babies with him very quickly. And um, I coped. I was surprised that I coped. I never faced looking after children alone. Okay. Even though my second husband was a seagoing person, I never, ever was alone looking after the children. And I think that's with Mama what we're trying to help too. Mm-hmm. Because just to be alone looking after children, it's, it can be very difficult. Well, I don't so, think we were supposed to, were we? No. You know, you know, cultures thousands of years ago, we had the village, right? And that's how we raised our children. Well, I kept working, so um, and I breastfed all the the other children until they were quite old. And so I kept working, but, but I could take the home birth then with Rhea Dempsey and Jenny Teske and Peter Lucas and all those people. It was a different thing, and you could take your babies and feed them and things like that and 
people always minding my children in you know not in a minding way but in a family way yeah and my mother was the biggest help you could ever get in your life she was like she'd walk in the house and everything would go ah <laughs> and, um, and that's what I'm hoping our daughters do and I think they do and many a time I've been told when they've opened the door to our midwives it's everything relaxes yeah and that's really nice so Nicola Roxon, she brought in the um, ability or for us to um, work independently without doctors. Mm-hmm. But just before the bill was passed in Parliament in 2011, just before it broke up at Christmas, it was it was whatever you call it attacked, <laughs> and it couldn't go through without collaboration with the doctor. Mm-hmm. And that became that that was very difficult. But uh, Nicola Roxon, in her wisdom, put it through because she knew it just might get put on the back burner, yeah. And so my midwives in Queensland, beautiful my midwives who are down here in Melbourne as well, Liz Wilkes, fabulous midwife, Kelly and I went up there to visit her, her centre in Toowoomba mm-hmm. and she helped us a lot to establish what we had. Kelly and I, I think, were amongst the first two people to get Medicare in Victoria. So that was a big thing. Now there's very, very hundred maybe endorsed midwives, and now young, not young Kelly, everyone's young to me, beautiful grown-up woman Kelly is credentialed to um, actually have clients herself in the hospital. And uh, that's just to increase women's choices. Mm. So that bill went through and then we looked around for a place to rent and uh, Kelly found this place in Kensington. I was sort of looking down Bayside a bit because that's my area mm-hmm. and then I was looking up in the northern suburbs but Kelly found this place and it's been marvellous. It's owned by Melbourne City Council and they've been a, they've given us great um, whatever you call it. They're our landlords, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they've been very helpful and we've got land and we've got a car park and we've got about 14 rooms here. It is a wonderful centre. and it's a wonderful centre. It's grown from just one receptionist, uh, Kelly being the admin and me being a clinician and then us both being the clinicians. And now it's a big payroll here and a big admin staff and uh, we have started the employment model for midwives here too. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is the fact that it's it is just like a hub Everything you need, whether it be acupuncturist, massage, yoga, you know, obviously the midwives and lactation consultants. No, (laughs) is that is that something you're going to be looking into, Jan? (laughs) I that's what I love about it, and I I actually think I live in Kensington, and I feel like Mama just encompasses everything of Kensington. It's this tiny little suburb just out of the city, but the community feel and 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 what you see in the streets just is everything. And I think that kind of feeds into Mama as well. It's that community spirit. And I think, you know, going full circle, it's that village. And I think that you have, you and Kelly have just, you know, ticked every box when it comes to the support network that women and families need when they're starting a family. You know, it's just a wonderful organisation. 
I think that's really nice that you um, say that. We've only become business women in the last 12 months, really. <laughs> We've been shopping business women. But um, we're, oh, we're so proud of it. When we first got the big pictures outside about three years ago, I drove around about six times looking at them. <laughs> so it's been our baby and Kelly now is not a director because of her family, her beautiful family. She wants to give more time to and she's going to go on and develop lots of things here. So we have a lactation centre here now run by beautiful Sarah who you've mentioned yep. and uh, we have an education centre here. So it's mama education, mama lactation, mama acupuncture, we have a chiropractor, everything you could think of. And, of course, because of the whole reason I started the place, we have a myriad of different psychologists and counsellors and it's a very common referral here. Mm. And it's a thing that's just absolutely normal to see a psychologist or a counsellor. It's just, it's just like nothing. It's just like it's no stigma whatsoever here. Yeah, and it's – and it. Like as you touched on earlier, you know, back when you first had Emma, it, it, it was, was it, I'm assuming, a big Painful. faux pas to, to have Nothing. a mental health issue and, you know, did you, in and if you don't mind me asking, during that process where you were working with yes. the psychiatrist, yeah. did you connect with any other women you know, new mothers during that process and start to kind of hear their stories as well? Or did you feel like a bit of a lone wolf in that process? I'm no, interested to know I what it was like I, back there. Yeah, I just thought I couldn't cope. Yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't even know the name of it. And right. um, uh, the psychiatrist I saw, she told me that things are changing in the world, that the stigma of mental health is changing, that talked to me about a lot of things. And at that time, uh, single-sex couples were on the same list that postnatal depression was on as a mental illness. So that's how far back we're going. Wow, yep. Yeah, it's terrible. And when you had your subsequent children, was there was there some sort of tool or process that you used going into each of those pregnancies and postpartums that you felt yeah. that were instrumental in being able to cope? I, I guess outside of having that network of people to assist yeah. you, you know, internally, what were some of the things that that you used? And I guess a follow-up question to that is do you then use those tools and skill sets to assist your practice with your mums now? Do you Do you use that? Very much so, and it's, it's about listening. Mm-hmm. So it used to be called listening with meaning. I took myself off about when I was 45 and did a degree because I'd come up through the hospitals and I was absolutely thrilled to do psychology and all sorts of other things. So I, I used those tools that I learned then. But as a woman, I thought women need to be heard, mm-hmm. not heard and, oh, yes, you'll be right. Yeah. You'll be okay. It's okay. We'll look after you. Not that. This is what I want. Unless there's a medical problem in childbirth and in parenting, and then we need to still be heard, but really heard about our medical problems and things. But basically, when I was having Emma, the midwife, who was beautiful, she was lovely, 
And I told her she left the room that I might die. I remember saying that. And I remember her name and everything. But I also remember her telling me, stop that noise you're making because your husband might hear you. Wow. And I said to her, well, I want him to hear me because I want him to come in here. And she said, stop calling him because he can't come and you'll upset him. Now stop it. Wow. So I did. But I... I um. I said to her, there's about 14 people watching this birth. All the medical students are watching the birth in a glass case. And but um, and yet my husband can't come in. It's not fair. So then I started talking about, what about my mother? Can she come? And there was, no, you can't. You've got to behave. And I wasn't one to behave even then. So My goodness. Excuse my naivety, but so you were not allowed any support people whatsoever? No, I just had to behave. Wow. Okay. That is awful. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jan. That is so yeah, awful. awful. That well, is really, that's really shaken me. I could not even, I mean, I could not even dream about that, but I feel like you know, and I, I'm mindful of talking about COVID too much, but that is what our mummers are dealing with right now during these COVID times, you know, this topsy-turvy of support person, no support person. You can have them for half an hour. You can't have them. And, oh, my goodness. Midwives are absolutely gorgeous. Um, two of my daughters are midwives and they've learned to smile with their eyes. Yes, and midwives, I think, are, are doing everything they can to keep, and the doctors. Yeah. I've noticed they're treating everyone so much better in COVID than ever before. Mm-hmm. They know it's difficult. They know everything's difficult. Yeah. I think in the first instance, when we got the COVID stuff going on, everyone was just, it hadn't been done before and everyone was scared stiff. Yeah. Including the, just everyone was scared. Yeah. I was scared. My staff locked me up at home for seven weeks and I was just on, well, I, I learned to use my face phone thing. A uh, FaceTime? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't think that birth has stayed, I don't think that obstetricians should be doing normal birth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the midwives basically should be doing it, but they don't, The private, in the private system, it's mostly the obstetricians. I mean, I think I, I, I think obstetrician skills are needed in birth, mm. not in normal birth. Mm-hmm. And and you say that because do you think they just over medicalize the birth well, and not give they? enough what space? Are, what are obstetricians? I yeah, mean, they've worked for twelve years to become surgeons. Mm-hmm. When a woman's in in like making uncharacteristic sounds and and she's distressed and, and she's struggling to have her baby and they're surgeons and they can get it out, why wouldn't they? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not that they don't want the help. The attitude of um, obstetricians in other countries is quite different. Well, so I've been told. Okay. So our Dutch um, midwife who's here is our lactation consultant. She tells me she calls it the obstetrician in and he'll say to the woman, no, I think you're doing fine. Do it yourself. Oh, okay. And we have some wonderful obstetricians here that we work with for normal birth. Fabulous people. Mm-hmm. I think women 
don't know they want to have a beautiful birth experience until they've had a bad one. Oh, yes. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Many, many people that I have spoken to. And I don't think a bad birth is a season or a force. No, no. I mean, we've spoken off air, you know, when I came into Mama, you know, and I've been quite open with my mental health challenges as well. I completely spiralled when I was on mat leave and chose to have an elective caesarean and I made that a beautiful birth experience. I loved it. It was, and to be, and actually it is going to be my fourth year anniversary tomorrow because it is my, my little girl's fourth birthday tomorrow of that experience. And, you know, people, I, I see their face when I say, oh, yeah, I had a season. They're like, oh, you know, they they, compl- they go to oh. And I'm like, no, it was amazing. I wouldn't have changed anything. Because it, you chose it. I chose it, exactly. I felt empowered the by yeah. the process. So, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You don't know what <laughs> a good birth experience is until you have a bad one. But on that, Jan, so, you know, you've obviously been in the industry for decades now and we've, we've, we've spoken about the fact that you don't think many changes have, have yeah, been seen. Have there been any good changes? I mean, what's the good, the bad and the ugly about the industry? Uh, have there been some good changes? <sighs> That's a big sigh. <laughs> Lip service-wise, I think there has been. Okay. When the woman's in the situation when she's distressed in childbirth, uh, just before she starts pushing the baby out, if she's in medical care or in hospital care, often she'll choose to have things which she later on regrets. Okay. So the the word, the bad, the bad thing is the birth centres are all gone. Okay. And I will hesitate to say also something else, a, a model of care which I like, which people can't believe I like, was the GP obstetrician. So the GP obstetrician might have delivered you and then he might deliver your baby, and but he sees the, the woman right through her pregnancy, right through the labour and then afterwards. That used to be, I think, a very good model of care. So you had midwives in birth centres, you had GP obstetricians and then you had obstetricians. Mm. Now you have private obstetricians and public hospitals and our public hospitals are strapped, mm. really strapped. Mm. I don't think the the system has changed enough. I think it's under the influence of uh, litigation. What do you call these things? <laughs> Software. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's The worst thing to happen to, to normal birth if women wanted it, was the epidural, yeah? Okay. The second worst thing that happened was the typing like that. People in the room now, some, I saw three computers in the room the other day getting typed on. Mm. And that's one just was, a distraction from... For... One was the computer doing the notes and the midwife's back was to the client. One was because she was going to see to getting permission and the other one was on the ultrasound checking the baby's position. So she, the, three, two trolleys and one stable all around the woman, computers. Yeah. And then what's going on? So yeah. screen time sort of. Yeah, right. Okay. It reminded me of the um, years and years and years ago when Monty Python had a skit about women because everything's going beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and I thought... 
Yeah, you're there now. But there's no babies falling out. But I do think that people who have cesarean sections here in Australia have them basically because doctors won't take any risk in getting in birth. Yes. And that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. So the Caesar rate is quite high. Do you know what it is? Is it like 33% or higher? Something like that. So ours is under 10%, but we have very motivated women here and we look after them at home for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want women not to get postnatal depression or be traumatised by it. Well, they don't call it that now. They call it post-traumatic stress. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, so so on that, that's actually a beautiful segue into one of my next questions. So the recent um, documentary Birth Time has really shined a light on what I think we as women, you know, mothers, midwives, birth practitioners, have probably known for some time that continuity of care is arguably the best method of care for birthing people. Would you like to share your comments on this concept yes, and, and I would. I, where you think I, our current I, I, mainstream birthing system kind of went wrong with all of this? Well, if you, even, even every model of continuity of care fails. Fails the practitioners. They all burn out. Okay fails all the nurses' acts all around the world. So fiscally or money-wise, you can't afford to be paying a midwife after eight hours overtime and on-call time and all those things. But the hospitals save thousands and thousands of dollars by the normal birth. But all around the world, most of these models have stopped. Mm -hmm. So continuity of care in hospitals now, there's a few good programs in Melbourne as you know, there's a Cosmos program, but if that midwife's worked 12 hours, she's got to go home and someone else has got to come. If she's been up the night before, she can't do it and things like that. Mm. And that's fair enough. So Mama has always had continuity of care, but we've had a huge amount of burnout. Yeah. Yes. I'm the only person who hasn't burned out, but I'm getting close. <laughs> So I'm not wanting my midwives to be on call uh, seven nights a week anymore. So I'm actually insisting that everyone that works here has to have two nights off call. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there'll be exceptions if your best friend's having a baby or whatever, whatever. Money's really hard to work out with this model of care, but my model of care now is that there's every night there's three midwives on call, two senior midwives and one more junior midwife working towards endorsement. Mm -hmm. And then I'm on call seven nights a week and then I'm on call for sorting out who's going where. So if someone rings up and I can see there's three people on call, I know their names, I can quickly look through the history and see who they've seen. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't say, oh, I'm sorry, your midwife's not on call. We don't use that language here anymore. Yeah, We make sure that we're working continuity of philosophy mm -hmm. and continuity of love and care. Mm -hmm. And how do you work around that? So do you almost have like the mother sees two or more midwives through her yeah, process? She's a main midwife. So yeah. when the lady's having a baby, she's assigned to a midwife. That midwife's um, responsible for all her care, mm -hmm. all her pathology, all her scans, all her appointments. If she works three nights on call, she makes sure that the 
that the woman meets at least the two more junior midwives who are going to be on call every night as second midwives. Mm-hmm. So we have occasions here when all the midwives are around that the mothers can come and meet them all, but no one does. They're all happy with this. The people that aren't happy happy with it, who want someone to be on call seven nights a week, 24 hours, I explain to them there could be an illness in the family, there could be anything happen. Yeah. You know, and now there's some, if you've got a dripping nose, you get a test, so we have a lot of people off getting tests. So not to provide disappointment to the woman, I don't call it continuity of care now, but continuity of philosophy. Mm. If a midwife or a client want to not work in that scheme, all that they have to do is tell between the client and the midwife, they say, you call me directly, don't call Jan and yeah. Yeah. So then we just don't have to worry about that. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. But uh, it gets hard with money and things like that. So yeah. the employed model I find much better because the midwives are all getting paid uh, remuneration and loading for whatever they do. And, and that means that they can take home a paycheck every fortnight and don't have to worry about missing births. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that seems like a, a much well, more reasonable. Yeah, well, look, you know, you can only, you can only try, can't you? Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, births are so unpredictable and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to try and make as many people happy as possible during I had a process. phone call at 1 o'clock, half past 3 and quarter past 5 today and then I organised two midwives to go, one from Parkdale to, one from Parkdale to um, Collingwood and one from Donvale to Collingwood. So they're there having a baby now. So then we have to rearrange all their appointments, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you get that with private obstetricians as well. I mean. Of course. Yeah. Kind of. Of course. And hopefully they've got a doula or a private midwife with them. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Mm. Jan, I'm going to wrap up soon. I've got some final questions for you. What would be your top one, two or three tips for birthing mothers and I let's narrow it in let's go for first time birthing mothers okay so I would say hopefully if you whoever your support people are in your family or your friends get closer to them if you're in a good if you're in a relationship try and improve that no matter where it is try and improve it I always say to my uh, couples Try and get back to the first few weeks when you met and you couldn't see enough of each other. Try and find that space again. Strip off, look in the mirror, think, look at us, we've come a long way. (laughs) A few changes. (laughs) But um, I still love you. And uh, go back to that place. It's really important. Share your fears, share your wishes and get closer. Yeah. And to the mothers, I would say try very hard to keep fit. Try very hard to look after yourself enough and and go for walks, go swimming, stretch your body and love your body. I encourage them to look at their naked body, all that thing, touch, 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 and really get excited about it. Get excited about what you're going to do. Get ready to smell a newborn person. No one else has touched except you, I hope. (laughs) And don't be shy about what you want. Just just say, I want it. Like you don't say, I want a red car with a sunroof and then you get a black one without one. You don't just say, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Plan for this. 
you can't plan for the type of birth, but plan for what you want. What underpins what you want is to be listened and respected, etc. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I really love that. Get comfortable, like strip naked and get comfortable with yourself. Um, well, think- I've got a very fat aging body and I do the same with myself. And I say I've been to every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Jan. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. What is your go-to resource for birthing mothers, whether it be a book or a workshop or even a quote? Oh, yeah, I like to quote. It's uh, the inner self, really. It's loving your inner self. The child that's in you, forgive it, you know, just let it, the way it was brought up or what happened to it, it's your woman now, take that on and... You're never alone. In your whole life, there's been times you've been so alone, it sucks. You're never alone. You've got a baby. Whether it's a couple of cells, I say, because I'm a great advocate for helping women with miscarriage, a couple of cells or a baby dying to get out, um, you're not alone. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. And... Our last question, which we always ask our guests, what do you keep on your bedside table? Well, obviously my phone. Yeah, <laughs> on obviously full blast. My, bed, my bedside lamp and I've got a little black box and um, I, my grandchildren and I cut out a lyre bird from a card and it's pasted on the top and it's about, it's not about the size, half, half an a, a a normal page size, and in it I've got blue nail polish, uh, something from McDonald's, a toy from McDonald's, all little pieces from my grandchildren. Everything means something. Mm. Oh, Jan, that is magical. How <laughs> many grandchildren do you have? Nine. Oh, amazing. And I was at all their births. Oh, that would have been magical. Absolutely magical. It, it, was, it was very amusing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your authenticity today. I actually have had to hold back some tears in some of those conversations. (laughs) Wow. That has just, yeah, I'm going to need some time to process that because I just don't feel, yeah, I just don't feel like I, yeah, I just don't feel like how I've, I've appreciated how, how different things used to be, but it was, you know, not that long ago. So I feel like we have come a little bit of a way with birthing, but I am just still. As as, as women we have. Yes, yes. And And I think something else I love about Mama and, and at the moment, this is a really modern thing and I love it. And that's the the non-sexualisation and gender thing. I love it. Yeah. And what, what means a family? Yes. And we're embracing that here big time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, and that's a really important point. Thank you for raising it's that, Jan. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Little boys running around in pink tutus. I love it. Yes, yes. I can definitely attest to the fact that, um, albeit my, my daughter has princess outfits and, you know, Emma Wiggles, she is very much into dinosaurs, dragons, trucks, the whole thing. And 
I think that's a really important, just a really important thing to, again, coming back to that inner self of, you know, just express who you want to be. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Exactly. Yes. Thank you so much for your time, Jan. I really appreciate it. I know you need to duck off to an appointment with a mama. I will definitely be touching base with you soon. But Thank if you. the I will have all the details of mama and yourself in the show notes on our website if anyone would like to get in touch with you or any of the services, whether it be mama education, mama lactation and mama midwives as well. So. Well, online at the moment we've got yoga and, and meditation, which are good things, yeah. Yes, okay. absolutely amazing. Thanks, Jan. Bye. See you later. <laughs> Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup.com.